0: Chapter Forty-Eight of Far from the Madding Crowd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyg Hines. Far from the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Forty-Eight. Doubts arise. Doubts linger. Bathsheba underwent the enlargement of her husband's absence from hours to days with a slight feeling of surprise and a slight feeling of relief, yet neither sensation rose at any time far above the level commonly designated as indifference. She belonged to him. The certainties of that position were so well defined, and the reasonable probabilities of its issue so bounded that she could not speculate on contingencies taking no further interest in herself as a splendid woman she acquired the indifferent feelings of an outsider in contemplating her probable fate as a singular wretch for bathsheba drew herself and her future in colours that no reality could exceed for darkness her original vigorous pride of youth had sickened and with it had declined all her anxieties about coming years since anxiety recognizes a better and a worse alternative and Bathsheba had made up her mind that alternatives on any noteworthy scale had ceased for her. Soon or later, and that not very late, her husband would be home again, and then the days of their tenancy of the upper farm would be numbered. There had originally been shown by the agent to the estate some distrust of Bathsheba's tenure as James Everdeen's successor, on the score of her sex, and her youth, and her beauty— But the peculiar nature of her uncle's will his own frequent testimony before his death to her cleverness in such a pursuit and her vigorous marshalling of the numerous flocks and herds which came suddenly into her hands before negotiations were concluded had won confidence in her powers and no further objections had been raised she had latterly been in great doubt as to what the legal effects of her marriage would be upon her position but no notice had been taken as yet of her change of name, and only one point was clear, that in the event of her own or her husband's inability to meet the agent at the forthcoming January rent-day, very little consideration would be shown, and for that matter very little would be deserved. Once out of the farm, the approach of poverty would be sure. Hence Bathsheba lived in a perception that her purposes were broken off— she was not a woman who could hope without good materials for the process differing thus from the less far-sighted and energetic though more petted ones of the sex with whom hope goes on as a sort of clockwork which the merest food and shelter are sufficient to wind up and perceiving clearly that her mistake had been a fatal one she accepted her position and waited coldly for the end the first saturday after troy's departure she went to casserage alone a journey she had not before taken since her marriage On this Saturday Bathsheba was passing slowly on foot through the crowd of rural businessmen, gathered as usual in front of the market-house, who were as usual gazed upon by the burghers with feelings that those healthy lives were dearly paid for, by exclusion from possible aldermanship, when a man, who had apparently been following her, said some words to another on her left hand. Bathsheba's ears were keen as those of any wild animal, and she distinctly heard what the speaker said, though her back was towards him. "'I am looking for Mrs. Troy. Is that she there?' "'Yes, that's the young lady, I believe,' said the person addressed. "'I have some awkward news to break to her. Her husband is drowned.' As if endowed with the spirit of prophecy, Bathsheba gasped out, "'No, it is not true, cannot be true.' Then she said, and heard no more. The ice of self-command which had latterly gathered over her was broken, and the currents burst forth again, and overwhelmed her. A darkness came into her eyes, and she fell, but not to the ground. A gloomy man, who had been observing her from under the portico of the old corn exchange, when she passed through the group without, stepped quickly to her side at the moment of her exclamation, and caught her in his arms as she sank down. What is it?" said Boldwood, looking up at the bringer of the bad news as he supported her. Her husband was drowned this week while bathing in Lulwyn Cove. A coastguard's man found his clothes and brought them into Budmouth yesterday. Thereupon, a strange fire lighted up in Boldwood's eye, and his face flushed with the suppressed excitement of an unutterable thought. Everybody's glance was now centred upon him and the unconscious Bathsheba. He lifted her bodily off the ground, and smoothed down the folds of her dress, as a child might have taken a storm-beaten bird, and arranged its ruffled plumes, and bore her along the pavement to the King's Arms Inn. Here he passed with her, under the archway, into a private room, and by the time he had deposited, so loathly, the precious burden upon a sofa, Bathsheba had opened her eyes. Remembering all that had occurred, she murmured, "'I want to go home.' Boldwood left the room. He stood for a moment in the passage to recover his senses. The experience had been too much for his consciousness to keep up with, and now that he had grasped it, it had gone again. For those few heavenly golden moments she had been in his arms—what did it matter about her not knowing it? She had been close to his breast, and he had been close to hers. He started onward again, and sending a woman to her, went out to ascertain all the facts of the case— These appeared to be limited to what he had already heard. He then ordered her horse to be put into the gig, and when all was ready returned to inform her. He found that, though still pale and unwell, she had in the meantime sent for the Budmouth man who had brought the tidings, and learnt from him all there was to know. Being hardly in a condition to drive home as she had driven to town, Boldwood, with every delicacy of manner and feeling, offered to get her a driver or to give her a seat in his Phaeton, which was more comfortable than her own conveyance. These proposals Bathsheba gently declined, and the farmer at once departed. About half an hour later she invigorated herself by an effort, and took her seat and the reins as usual, in external appearance much as if nothing had happened. She went out of the town by a tortuous back street, and drove slowly along, unconscious of the road and the scene. The first shades of evening were showing themselves when Bathsheba reached home, where, silently alighting and leaving the horse in the hands of the boy, she proceeded at once upstairs. Liddy met her on the landing. The news had preceded Bathsheba to Weatherbury by half an hour, and Liddy looked inquiringly into her mistress's face. Bathsheba had nothing to say. She entered her bedroom and sat by the window, and thought and thought till night enveloped her and the extreme lines only of her shape were visible. Somebody came to the door, knocked, and opened it. "'Well, what is it, Liddy?' she said. "'I was thinking there must be something got for you to wear,' said Liddy, with hesitation. "'What do you mean?' "'Morning.' "'No, no, no,' said Bathsheba hurriedly. "'But I suppose there must be something done for poor—' "'Not at present, I think.' It is not necessary.' "'Why not, ma'am?' "'Because he is still alive.' "'How do you know that?' said Liddy, amazed. "'I don't know it. But wouldn't it have been different, or shouldn't I have heard more? Or wouldn't I have found him, Liddy? Or I don't know how it is, but death would have been different from how it this is. I am perfectly convinced that he is still alive.' Bathsheba remained firm in this opinion till Monday, when two circumstances conjoined to shake it. The first was a short paragraph in the local newspaper, which, beyond making, by a methodizing pen, formidable presumptive evidence of Troy's death by drowning, contained the important testimony of a young Mr. Barker, M.D., of Budmouth, who spoke to being an eye witness of the accident, in a letter to the editor. In this he stated that he was passing over the cliff on the remoter side of the cove, just as the sun was setting. At that time he saw a bather carried along in the current outside the mouth of the cove, and guessed in an instant that there was but a poor chance for him, unless he should be possessed of unusual muscular powers. He drifted behind a projection of the coast, and Mr. Barker followed along the shore in the same direction but by the time that he could reach an elevation sufficiently great to command a view of the sea beyond, dusk had set in, and nothing further was to be seen. The other circumstance was the arrival of his clothes, when it became necessary for her to examine and identify them, though this had virtually been done long before by those who inspected the letters in his pockets. It was so evident to her in the midst of her agitation that Troy had undressed in the full conviction of dressing again almost immediately, that the notion that anything but death could have prevented him was a perverse one to entertain. Then Bathsheba said to herself that others were assured in their opinion, strange that she should not be. A strange reflection occurred to her, causing her face to flush. Suppose that Troy had followed Fanny into another world. Had he done this intentionally, yet contrived to make his death appear like an accident? Nevertheless, This thought of how the apparent might differ from the real, made vivid by her bygone jealousy of Fanny, and the remorse he had shown that night, did not blind her to the perception of a likelier difference, less tragic, but to herself far more disastrous. When alone late that evening beside a small fire, and much calmed down, Bathsheba took Troy's watch into her hand, which had been restored to her with the rest of the articles belonging to him. She opened the case as he had opened it before her a week ago. There was a little coil of pale hair, which had been as the fuse to this great explosion. He was hers, and she was his, and they should be gone together, she said. I am nothing to either of them, and why should I keep her hair? She took it in her hand and held it over the fire. No, I'll not burn it. I'll keep it in memory of her, poor thing, she added, snatching back her hand. End of chapter 48